0: Well, good morning. It's good to be with you again. We're continuing on on Mother's Day on this series of uh, authentic identity. And we're looking into this concept of male and femaleness and a little bit around this whole idea of parenting. And uh, right now in our culture, I, I think we're in a, we're in a, a sense a tension or I would even say a conflict in regards to who actually gets the right, who gets the right to form children and form their identity, and form their belonging, and form their self-worth. This is the battle in which we find ourselves today. And so this has been, a, of course, another challenging talk for me to figure out where do we go with this? How do we deal with this? And so I want to do a little bit of just a quick, I guess for a lot of us, been in the Christian community probably a long time. Some of you maybe new. Let's do a quick kind of review of what we believe Scripture says Let's move into a couple pieces of information that some of you probably will be like, what? And then some of you will be like, oh yeah. Uh, and some of you will be like, oh. Um, and then let's move into a little bit of application in the sense of what do we need to do about it. So we've been talking about identity, this whole idea of who are you really? And what does it mean to be your authentic self? And, and then to find your authentic self, the big question is like, where, where do I find that? And that's really the wrestle that we find ourselves in in our society. Do we, do we find that again from within ourselves? Do we we find that from what other people say about us, and or do we find that again from what God says? Who are we really? And that's why singing that song, uh, Randy is such a good choice again for us. Is who do you say I am? And will that will that form the basis of our identity, even when even when, our. Current circumstances, or maybe our current experiences, are finding ourselves in a, in a frustrated state with what God says. What wins that day? In other words, where do we say, Well, my foundation is this, regardless of today, and my circumstances, or my, my feelings of the day, I will let God form me and shape me and mold me the way I need to be. This whole idea of being authentic or being true to yourself is a, a massive topic in our society today and so it's one of the reasons why we're wrestling with it and it's important then as a christian community that we understand what does it mean to be authentic in the sense of authentic go back to authorship authorship in other words who who wrote the story of your life who designed you who created you and is that where we're going to find our authenticity What's interesting, I, I heard a statement once, and it kind of kind of is a little disturbing, is like being authentic or true to yourself and, and expressing that seems to be the highest value out there in society. But I want to suggest to you, I don't think that is the highest value scripturally at all, this idea of allowing self to dictate what we want to do. I, I would suggest what biblically Jesus is calling us to do to follow him is actually quite the opposite. And so you remember what Jesus would say is that if anyone wants to follow me, they need to do what to themselves? It's quite a difference. Deny self. Deny yourself and follow me. And so this idea of being authentic to who we are and letting that come out as a highest value in our society today is a little bit disturbing, to be honest, because the people who actually lived out to how they felt on the inside, often I would suggest our prisons are very full of the most authentic people then. Who in a moment felt like they wanted to do something and just decided to go off and do that. And whether they wanted that moment, whatever they wanted, they wanted to take something, they took something. They wanted to hurt someone, they hurt someone. They wanted to be who they wanted to be in that moment, and they just do it, regardless of consequences. And so, authentically just releasing whatever desire is inside of us actually isn't a very healthy way to function. And we grow up, I would say, as a child and part of our our role as a parent is to guide, you know, control and direct this little autonomous being. This little being that wants to have choice and freedom and understanding and wants to express themselves constantly. None of this is in my notes, so I don't know what's going to happen today. So anyways, this... You think about when you have a, a little child you have these little children, right? And, and it's exhausting. And, and moms and dads, like you have this full-time job, it feels like, when they, they start to walk, for sure, is like you're constantly, literally guiding them and controlling and directing them everywhere they go, or they'll fall over, walk in front of a vehicle, fall off an edge or something. It's just a constant thing. And so, of course, releasing them to the wild is probably not the best the best answer. And so part of our job is to to help them understand that every emotion they feel is not necessarily something they need to release, but something they need to process. And so when another child takes their toy away, they might want to smack them in the face, but it's probably not a good idea. And so in kindergarten, this is what we used to learn anyways, got to be a little careful today. I'm getting sarcastic already. But in kindergarten, we used to learn everything they would say you learn in kindergarten that you need to know the rest of your life. How to share, how to get along, how to behave. Every action and reaction or instinct that you have actually isn't necessarily a good thing in a sense of community. To live in society, to live in community means I have to actually deny self for the benefit of community and the benefit of others. And so finding ourselves in Christian community is, again, some of that very similar process. Well, it's better go back to my notes. We're going to be in trouble. So I want, to, I want to go. We've been looking at literally two verses for quite a while. And I want to read those again to you, Genesis 1, 26, 27. So God created human beings in his image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and govern it. And last week we talked about that idea of governing it and, and ownership and ruling over and being creative and fulfilling part of our identity is actually the creative work of work. And yet here in this area, in this realm of being male and female, that part of our identity is being who we are made in our gender in the sense so that we can fulfill a new other creative work. That together we can create new life. And in that creation, again, we represent God and God's design. And so when we bring new life into this world by being male and female and joining together and creating family, we actually represent the heart and the desire of God. Our identity includes our responsibility within creation. And part of this is to understand who we were designed to be as male and female. The Lord said in Genesis 2, he looked at man and he said, the Lord said, it's not good that man would be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. I should pause there because there's a lot of misunderstanding of that word helper. (laughs) and and for some reason some people have interpreted that over the years as less than that's not a less than concept at all in fact that exact same word is used of god many times throughout scripture that god is our constant helper in times of need that he is, our, he is what we need in the moment. And so when God looked at man and said, you know what? Man needs is someone to complete him to make it full and complete. He needs, and that word is actually tied into Savior. He needs help. And women, women know this, right? Like, you know that. I mean, you look at us and you go, they need help. And that's what it says. God looked at man and said, he needs something. I mean, I don't dare come here dressed without help. My wife's not even here, but trust me, she woke up early this morning, her eyes half open and looked across and said, what are you thinking you're wearing? She went, her, that's a her question. I was thinking this, no. Now, I did rebel at the last minute. Sometimes I don't tell her. She had to go off and run, so I don't know. We'll find out how I did later on review. But I need help. And he says, I'm going to make a helper who is just right for him. In other words, there's, there's a way in which we're designed, male and female, that is, I guess, together to become complete. And the image of God rests in both of these male and femaleness. The identity of God is found in both, and yet when, it, when we come together, we fulfill the desire, the heart of what God had designed and begin to continue, I believe. And I think this is a new concept for me over this studying of this, that part of who we're designed to be is creative. And so part of our design to become like God is we can't be creative on our own. Two males cannot be creative. We cannot create two life, a new life. Two females cannot create a new life. A male and a female, when they come together, bring the heart of God together because we can become creative. We create life. And so fundamentally, to honor God, to be according to who God designed us to be, to be male and a female and to come together and form, it says, a union together we're able to accomplish one of the design purposes of who God designed us to be. That's why, it says, is why a man leaves his father and his mother joined to be with his wife, and the two become united into one. And they come together and they they don't feel shame. They're both naked, they're exposed, they're vulnerable. But when they're together, they find completion, wholeness, not shame or guilt. Part of God's design is that we honor him in this. I was reading Isaiah 45. 45 says this, what sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator. Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does a clay dispute with the one who shapes it, saying, stop, you're doing it wrong? Does the pot exclaim? How clumsy can you be? funny I, I over time i think i've grown a little bit in how i actually read i read scripture in light of far more in the sense of grace than i do in the sense i used to of almost just like this just cold god and so when i read this verse it's funny because i think many years ago i would have i would have read it as almost a judgment of god is what what sorrow is gonna wait you for those that don't recognize it you it's coming for you And now i read it and i see it in the context of society and i say what sorrow floods the heart of somebody what heartache comes to society and to people when they don't understand who their maker is that's a compassionate difference there's like god's grief is like The people who don't see who I am and they argue and they fight against my purposes and designs in their life, they experience grief and sorrow. The heart of God for me has become so much softer towards people, so much more compassionate towards them. His desires, we would would be in his design. Why? Because he wants authority and full control? No, because if you have been designed a certain way, then you will find fulfillment within your design and you will find grief and sorrow outside of it and god's desire is that we would enjoy enjoy the world in which he created enjoy creation the way he designed it enjoy relationships the way he created them to be part of isaiah 45 becomes significant in the topic today because one of the common phrases that maybe you're bumping into and you're hearing in media or in social media, and I'm going to go through some of this stuff in the educational piece for us today, but some of the things you will hear now is that it is an awareness that there's people out there who could be born in the wrong body. And you can imagine if you were growing up as a child and someone was to look at you and say, Oh, you are not in the right body. How damaging and hurtful and confusing that could be at such a young age. But this is exactly what is happening in our society today. And yet scripture would say that's impossible because God has knit you together. He has designed you in a certain way. He has crafted you and your true self, your true identity is what he's designed you to be like. We believe in Scripture that we are embodied souls. And so in a sense, they're connected. Our spiritual and our physical is united together. And right now in our culture, they are trying to divide these things, that your yourself or who you truly are can be completely disjointed and completely separated from who you think you are physically versus inside. And those can be completely opposites and you can exist today in disunity within of yourself. It's a difficult, it's struggle for many people who have no truth and no understanding or no, in a sense, affirmation that God has made you for a purpose, for design, for a reason, and you're not a mistake. You didn't all of a sudden end up in the wrong body. But you are who you're supposed to be. Romans 9.20 says, Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, Why have you made me like this? And this is where our society is at. But I want you to know, biblically, our understanding is this, and we've said it many times in this series, we just sang it again. And so this is really our mantra. It is important for us to understand, I'm not who I think I am. Why? Because I always will change. And I have good days and bad days. I have confusing days. And some days I think I've got it together, and some days I think I'm a mess. Some days I'm confident, some days I'm discouraged, some days I'm happy, some days I'm sad. And if my core identity rests on how I feel every day, I will feel adrift in a storm all my life. And I'm not who you say I am, and so I can't search that out because you don't know me. You didn't create me. And so I, I can't depend on you because even if you try to affirm me, I know you don't really know me. Ever had that happen? What Even when people are trying to and they're, they're being positive and affirming of you, still you look inside and you say, but I don't know if you truly know me. And so I can't rest my foundation of my life on what you say because I can trick you. <laughs> I can make you think things. I can make you believe things are true that aren't true. And so for us, our foundation is really who God says I am. And that has to become the rock, the foundation in which I build. Myself is founded in Jesus. To deny yourself, as I mentioned at the beginning, is the way we follow Jesus. It's not a discovery in which we can mold and shape, but we follow him in that way. To be a follower of Jesus is to submit who we are. Completely and fully to him. So I got at creation. I want to give us some of the foundation work. At creation, God established, we see two sexes. And Jesus has affirmed this, and when he was talked about again the idea of divorce, and, and divorce is a is a broken situation, and if you've been through divorce, there's there's no judgment on that, but if you've been through it, you understand the brokenness that comes with it. It's it's painful. And there's a lot of brokenness in our world, and sometimes there's physical brokenness, there's relational brokenness, and to go through all kinds of brokenness is not an enjoying experience. And so when Jesus said, you know, he's talking about this issue, they were trying to get him to take sides, and he says, what's not important is always knowing how to deal with everything, because we're going to talk about things today, and there's not really great answers on how to deal with everything. So, what Jesus says is first, we always need to remind ourselves of the way it was designed. You don't get mad when you're when you're at someone because they're experiencing brokenness. But you say, But what is the heart of God in design? And Jesus said, the heart of God in design is there would be male and female, and they'd be joined together, and they would do life together. That's God's design. And that's why no one enters into marriage saying, oh, someday I'm looking forward to being divorced. No one did that. That doesn't mean we don't experience that happening in brokenness. But we go for the design. We're hopeful for the design. We know that the way it should be, the should be, is a loving union, creating a family for life. And that's our design, desire that God has placed in us, And so Jesus affirms that. So, as I said in the beginning, we become like God. We are like God in His likeness, created in His likeness. When we come together, male and female, we have the ability to create the miracle of life. And therefore, we reflect Him in the world. We fulfill, actually, one of the commandments. To be fruitful and multiply. One of the very first things that we are commanded to do. It's interesting right now because we actually live in a society that has really almost frowned on that idea. And you need to know that doing the fruitful and multiply as a family is something that God desires for you. And I know there's people that struggle and this is not part of what God is giving them right now. But there's other ways. There's other ways to come alongside and to join with God's purposes in the world. There's some people who want to be a mom and can't be. There's some people who want to be a dad and can't be. There's singleness there that God calls some people to. There's brokenness, physical brokenness that sometimes God calls people to endure. But that doesn't mean that experiencing that brokenness does not mean we can't honor God's design. And that's why I, I... Today, it's important, I think, that we honor mothers. And I'll be honest, I do have people sometimes that come up to me and I understand and they'll say, we need to be careful because some people can't be mothers. It's like true. And they're experiencing pain and brokenness and suffering. That's true. But that doesn't mean that we don't celebrate what God has designed in the world, that we need to still celebrate motherhood. Because it's a big part of what God has put into this world to fulfill his purposes. And we say, well, some you say, well, we've got to be careful how you celebrate fathers. People have a bad father experience and you don't want to make a big deal out of it. And, and all these, and it's like, yeah, but that's the brokenness piece. We don't let brokenness determine what we can appreciate about God and God's design. So I want you to understand that today. We're not downplaying the brokenness. But we still want to celebrate God's design, even if we personally are having a difficulty experiencing it. I want to move into this whole idea of the self-expression versus honoring God. There's this idea of, why would God care? what I do with my body. Why would God care? And what we learn in Scripture again is something fundamental. And this is just for us again here, and I want us to know that if we're going to follow Jesus Christ, one of the things we understand is that when we come to Him, we actually present ourselves as a living sacrifice. And Scripture will teach us that the rights that we actually claim to our own body itself This is a hard one that sometimes we don't talk enough about, but our rights to our own body actually, because we're presented as a living sacrifice, have been given over to following Jesus Christ. And so when you follow Jesus, you actually call him Lord. And that gives him full right of everything about you your resources, your time, your money, your relationships, your sexuality, absolutely everything gets surrendered to the relationship in Jesus Christ. And sometimes the, on this talk, this is one of my dangers is when we segregate it all up, we get confused, but I want to make sure we understand that everything who you are belongs to him. You have no rights in Christ. Where I get that from? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you've received from God. He's taken up residence. He takes up leadership. Kingship. Lordship in your life. You are not your own. It's a big deal. When we come to Christ, often... Sometimes we tell people it's kind of they feel like we're adding Jesus into our life, and so we we invite Jesus in, which is the words that we've grown up. And it's not a bad thing to say invite him in. The question is, we're not inviting him in. Actually, is it not very accurate? We're giving up our life to him. And sometimes when we have the idea of inviting him in. It's like come alongside of my life and walk with me. But that's actually not really what. The gospel is. You are not your own. You were bought. Bought with a price. The blood of Jesus Christ. He paid for your redemption. That's why Paul talks about things being a slave to Christ. A slave to righteousness. You're not your own. Therefore, our bodies are included. Therefore, we need to honor God with our bodies. So everything is. That's why all of sexual sin is a sin. (laughs) Everything we do with our bodies, if it's outside of what God has planned and purposed in creation, it's wrong. So we don't need to fixate on one kind of expression of sexual sin, but all sexual sin outside of male, female coming together and being family is wrong. All expression of it. This is outside of God's design. So later in 1 Corinthians, why does Corinthians talk about this so much was because this group of people in Corinth, the church, was going through the transition of going, well, if, if we're not living according to the law anymore and it's according to grace and a lot of these were you know from from pagan religions coming over finding jesus and everything else and they're learning and the jews were trying to figure out how this all fits with the law and everything else and they were on like the freedom track of like whoa freedom 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 and they were just all over the map sexuality was a big problem in the church all kinds of leniencies was going on and paul comes in and goes whoa 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 just because you're free in a sense from a law does not mean you're free to exercise self-indulgence because you actually surrender self to christ and so freedom for law is not freedom to do as you please it's freedom from law so now you can freely give yourself to jesus and so he talks about in 1 corinthians 9 that he himself has to learn how to discipline himself like an athlete he has to train his body to do what it should. He says, otherwise, I'll fear that after preaching and knowing the truth, I might get disqualified from honoring God. And so I don't indulge my freedom, rather, I discipline myself. I discipline my body, I discipline my desires to align with God's design rather than releasing myself or my self-expression i discipline it to align up with who god called me to be sin has distorted god's created order this is true of everything we experience our physical bodies experience death disease pain suffering sadness the world we live in nature itself experiences issues with the created order and our sexuality has also experienced damage from God's created order. But we go back to the beginning and say, what did God design it to look like? Because his will, we know, his will and his plan. And we have scripture that teaches us God's design and desire is to redeem everything back to the way it was designed. And so though even though we experience brokenness now... We look forward to the day when God re brings things back into order, redeems it back. And we're going to talk about later on this series that now in Christ, we become part of this redeeming work. And so our job is to live our relationships the way that God designed them to be. We're now in Christ and we can now begin with Him redeeming relationships redeeming creation, redeeming sexuality. And so part of being in Christ means we're actually part of helping him restore what was broken back to wholeness. I was reading, I, I love this verse, and I, there's like a zillion translations and every one of them. Um, in a sense like translations are just how do you interpret right from the Hebrew into English and the Greek and back and forth and all that stuff and uh, every one of them I like it has a different nuance but in Proverbs 19 18 the new living says when people do not accept divine guidance they run wild <laughs> love that when we don't accept guidance divine guidance things go wild And we look at society right now, and that's what we learned in Romans 1, is that when society doesn't honor God, doesn't serve God, doesn't love God, things go wild, things go offline, things go out of track. We need to accept the guidance from God. While we're in a world right now, if you have young kids... You will know that we're in a world that's full of confusion and running wild, and a lot of it has to do with the male and femaleness of gender and sex. And so I want to talk a bit about this. For some of you, if you're not, if you have grandkids, you're probably aware something's going on. Um, if you've been a little bit isolated, then some of the things I'm going to tell you might be like, What? Um, again but for some of you that are in the midst of this i want to at least explore where we're at and the difference between what we have traditionally believed within the church the bible believing person and what's going on out there and so i think one of the things that's important for us to know is to be a little bit educated so we can understand when the language is being used what it's meaning and not meaning So I want to talk about a few things, and this is going to be interesting because I don't think I've ever taught how to preach on any of this kind of stuff. So one is when we refer to sex, and I'm talking about in the culture today, what we do agree with, and and the culture would agree, is we're talking about a biological makeup of the individual. Male and female exist. Sex. That's the sex. That's the biology but there's another thing that we're talking about now that is new in our society, which is they're now separating that internal piece that we talked about from what you see on the outside. The outside is biological and physical, but now gender identity, when we talk about gender identity in the world right now, they're talking about the internal you, this, the feeling of who you are on the inside. And so right now, there is a, there's a totally, they've separated those out, and they're trying to separate those out for our children. And this is why it's important that we understand this, that yes, you are this in gender, but who are you on the inside is the the conversation that is actually not just on the fringes anymore, but it's being promoted at the youngest age possible. At the youngest age possible. I'm not exagger. I promise you today, I'm not trying to glamorize, exaggerate, or fear monger. I'm telling you truth. Of things that are really happening. In kindergarten, it is encouraged, and they don't do it directly with sex, but they are encouraging, not every kindergarten class, depends on your school and your teacher and everything else, but this is happening. They're encouraging kids to every day explore who they might feel they are today. We had a psychologist come to our parents and literally in schools in BC saying, Her kid in kindergarten, this is one of the things they do every morning, is say, Who do you want to be called today? Who are you today? How do you want to express yourself today? We and then everyone, the kid goes around, I want to be a Power Ranger. You're a Power Ranger. I want to be a girl. You're a girl. I want to be a cat. You're And they're like, and everyone affirm them now that this is who they are today. And it's this idea of exploration at the youngest age so that they're not confined to the norms of expectation. This is what is happening. So gender identity is You can be different on the inside, of course, than you are on the outside. So gender expression, you'll hear that phrase, is the external manifestation of what you feel like on the inside. So you biologically can be one thing, but you can express yourself different on the outside. So that's what we call gender expression. How do you express yourself? Not, what do I see about you that is true, but how do you want to express that? then there's gender dysphoria you'll hear out there and this is a condition it's a it is a mental health condition has been for many generations it's distress that can be caused by a feeling of mismatch in yourself between who you are on the outside and who you feel like on the inside and so there's a gender dysphoria and this was this was something that was uh, recorded for many years and diagnosed, and somewhere between 1 and 1,000 and 1 and 3,000 children would be diagnosed at some point, saying they, they on, the, on the outside and the inside, there seems to be something that is incongruent with them, that when they see themselves, they don't feel like they're in the right body, and this was something that has been diagnosed for many, many times. But because this has been such encouraged and, and kind of magnified, this is a huge growing thing. And so gender, gender dysphoria is no longer seen as a, as a mental health condition. In fact, that's almost offensive now. It is just something that's acceptable that everyone probably experiences a little bit of. So that's interesting. And then there's transgender. And I, when I'm saying this stuff, I want you to know, like, as I'm saying it, everything is still changing. So, like, that's the truth, okay? So I'm giving you, I think, the latest helpful information, and yet be aware that that doesn't mean it's going to be true a month from now. Transgender, typically, now, is a person who feels that their gender identity, who they feel like on the inside, is not in alignment with the norms of biological sex. It is very different. What you used to experience on uh, a rarity in our society of transgender was simply this. It was one sex, so a male, now f- basically acting out the lifestyle or dressing according to the other gender. So that was what we would experience before. But the transgender movement, in a sense, has broadened out. And so lots of people would consider themselves in a com. it would be trans— So you'll hear of that often that they're trans. And what that means is there's a whole spectrum involved with that. And so you can be trans and not actually do I'm male and I'm dressing like female or I'm female and I'm dressing like a male. It's actually a whole spectrum of I just don't feel like I fit with what the stereotypical norms of the gender is. I don't know exactly, but I feel like so I can be trans and not dress like the other gender at all. And so you just need to understand how fluid these things are. There's another term that used to be, when I was growing up, offensive, it's no longer offensive, is queer. Queer is the concept of, I'm queer in the sense that I don't belong in the norms of any biological sex. And so it's a spectrum, again, of self-expression and of gender. So queer is, I'm somewhere in, in this vagueness of gray. I'm definitely not... In one or the other camps. Reason I'm telling you this is because kids are being so encouraged to be one of these spectrums because it feels very restrictive for a child at this point in society to say, I'm male. And it's almost at the point where I think in the younger generation is that would be odd. You must be something, you must be something in a in a vague area, and so it's actually safer now, it's getting to the point, safer to identify as I'm not exactly who you think I am on the outside, I'm something else. So I'm queer or I'm trans, and I'm figuring that out. I'm in process, and that is strongly encouraged. And so when it comes to genders now, you have to know what we would have said was gender is man and woman. Sex would be male and female, and for us, gender would be man and woman. At this point, even on Facebook, for example, there's 70 different forms of gender. So you can actually pick up to 70, and it's growing. And of course, it's growing because there's no limits of expression. And so if gender is something of how you feel and want to express yourself on a spectrum, then there will be no end to the number. And that's why the, the, the letters that it keeps growing and then they just add plus at the end is like, well, plus whatever. Whatever you want to say you are today is acceptable because we can't keep adding letters every two weeks. So the flag is already getting complicated enough. It keeps changing as well as you've noticed. A couple more because you're gonna get named some things and you need to know that. And so one of them would be cisgender. Cisgender is you feel an alignment between your biology and your inside. And so you, you know you're male and you feel like a man. You are now called cisgender. So if someone calls you that and you freak out, that means they believe that you believe that you are the same on the outside as you are on the inside. That's cisgender. And so whether it's male or female, they they align. Non-binary now is this concept that is a very broad thing, which is can be used often in regards to trans as well. Non-binary is this idea of the spectrum. I'm somewhere. I'm not, I don't feel I express myself exactly the way that my biology states. And so it's safe right now. You have to know because you will experience people in your life. Uh, Honestly, you will experience that it's safe to say actually you're non-binary. Because if you say you're non-binary, you're not offending anybody. So it's actually one of the easiest designations that's out there. And why I'm bringing it up is this. All of these things used to be very fringe. But right now, at the earliest in like junior high and senior high and high schools, we are seeing rates not exaggerated at 25 percent of students are classifying themselves as non-binary so that's a massive massive uptake it's going up and up and up and up and up it used to be you know a few years ago it was 10 and it was 15 and 17 and 20 and it's 25 and so it's become the thing to do and some would call it a social contagion and out there that would be offensive And what they would suggest as society as a whole is no, we finally just removed the shackles. And so all of a sudden now we see truth because they're not afraid to express themselves. So that's what the world is doing. But there's hope. And so I want to end with some application. And I know I want to do this quickly. This is really hard to do quickly. Hope. Jesus offers abundant life right now. One of the things you have to know is that Jesus' desire for every person is they would experience life to the fullest. That they would experience life and coming to him is an experience where you get to feel like you are being redeemed and brought back in alignment with God's heart. And so he came so that people would find this life because he knows life outside of design is brokenness. And he says something in this verse that is also important to know in this idea of there's another, there's another spiritual being, the thief, the enemy. And the heart's desire of the enemy is to kill and destroy what God loves. And we're not in a neutral environment anymore. We have never been, but you need to know that because sometimes it felt pretty safe being in North America. Maybe if you're a few generations ago, this was a safe place. We're not in a neutral environment anymore. We're in a full-on environment where there's an enemy trying to seek and destroy that which God loves, and God loves our children. He loves each of us and designed each of us as well. And the enemy wants us to live in confusion, to be disjointed from creation, disjointed from design, to harm, to stop doing the things that God designed us to do, which is being fruitful, creative, multiplying, God-glorifying people. Next week, I think I, I'm not sure what I'm doing next week, so just pray. <laughs> I think I'm going to just talk a little bit about some of the ramifications of the brokenness in our society and our response. So I want to wrap up here because I'll, I'll, post, I'll pause on what we need to do a little bit more in response. But I want you to know that in Christ, that we, are, we get to experience new creation or the recreation of the way God designed it to be. And so if we bring our brokenness, whatever that brokenness is, and there, there's probably people in the room who have experienced this sexual brokenness in some way, shape, or form, which can be simply sex outside of marriage, which I guarantee there's people in the room who have experienced this, inappropriate sexual relations outside of marriage, those experiencing um, other attraction outside of male and female all that all that's there and all of that is brokenness and what you need to know is what Jesus said is I've come I've come so that people will experience life the way it's designed to be that's what I've come to do and if we come to Christ what he says is I take all your brokenness and I'm going to create a new creation for you you become new and all that old brokenness is taken away and before him we become a brand new healed creation so, whatever the brokenness that you've come through, whatever it was, it could be divorce, it could be experiencing abortion, the consequences of that, it could be experiencing marital breakdown of some kind, or tensions within your gender, or your expression, and your past, and your history. But what you need to know is what Jesus came to do was to redeem brokenness. He didn't come to yell at brokenness, He came to bring healing to brokenness. And one of the best stories that we won't go into, but is when the, the woman caught in adultery was drugged before him, who was caught, and it says, in the act of adultery. They needed to get Jesus in a way that would enforce him to do what they thought he should do, which is to be harsh in judgment. So they found someone caught in the very act and dragged them before her. And what we see in Jesus in that motion in that minute was compassion and grace and mercy. When someone feels broken, the last thing they need is condemnation. And Jesus said, "I didn't come to condemn the world; I came to heal the world." So I don't, I don't need to know all your brokenness today, or what you've experienced, or what you've allowed to be experienced in your life. All I need you to know is that Jesus will meet the broken-hearted in their brokenness and bring healing. And that healing isn't always immediate, but it is assured. And scripture says, in one day is coming when everything that is broken will be completely brought back the way it should be. And so we live in a broken world. I think I need to skip ahead to one thing. There's some things in your notes, but I want to skip ahead to the parents. Because this is Mother's Day. Uh, Let me see where I find that. Sorry. (laughs) Ah, Parents. How are we to respond with those who are struggling in this area? I think parents, I think you need to be informed. And we want to help as a church. We've been trying to help a bit. You need to be informed and you need to know actually some of these terms. Why did I do that? Because your kids know these terms. Or your grandkids know a lot of these terms. And if you have this look on your face like you don't know what they're talking about, then they're not going to be comfortable in exploring or trusting your input in helping them navigate a world that is using a language you don't understand. And so understanding and knowing is important. Being involved is important. Being involved. We we are in a a situation right now, it's legit, not exaggerated, (laughs) where our society believes that the home, the home is not the safest place for a kid to learn who they are. 100% they believe that. They are afraid that the parents, if they were to feel differently about their child exploration, would try to conform them to an expectation, and that would damage them. And so we're living in a time when counselors, doctors, social workers, teachers are being told, do not tell the parents what the kid is telling you. They're literally being told not to disclose because it's not safe for the kid to go home. Their parent might not affirm this idea. And so at school, they're being told that this is their safe place to explore whatever they wanna explore, anything about their identity, anything about their gender, anything about their sexuality, anything about attraction, that school is a safe place and home is not. This is what is happening. And so as a parent, you no longer can just let the the school system, let the education system do what they're supposed to do, which is educate and train them in knowledge and understanding of the world around them because they've taken a new job of forming and shaping and socializing our children. And so you have to be informed of what is going on, and that actually needs, you need to take initiative in that because it ain't coming to you. You have to find out. So be involved. Be directive. What does that mean? Direct your kids. <laughs> get involved. Guide. Direct them. Direct them in the way they should go. Scripture says we need to direct the kids in the way they should go. I can't let my kid determine where he's going to go and what they're going to do. And how. Now, there's a day when they you know, get my daughter's age and you know, I can't direct her anymore. But when you can, you do. Don't walk away from that take ownership of teaching the truth and i want to say this and i think it's just as true in the church or clubs or any kind of sunday school or any kind of program you are the one responsible for teaching your children the truth of god's word you're it find a program find a church who aligns hopefully with truth is your job true but do not delegate that responsibility to a school or a church or a youth group or any kind of program or teacher or coach or anyone do not delegate it away you need to know god's word you need to live god's word and you need to help them understand who god says they are and i'll be honest in in when my kids were young, I mean, if we found a great program or a great teacher or a good youth group, we were so relieved, we just didn't worry about it. I would suggest you need to be a little bit more intentional at this day and age. <laughs> and you need to be the primary one who is responsible for forming and shaping the identity, the identity of your child. So back to that verse, Proverbs nineteen eighteen. Different translation, same verse. If people can't see what God is doing, they will stumble all over themselves. Our job is to help our children, our grandchildren, see what God is doing in their life. To see God's fingerprints in their life. So they don't stumble over themselves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time where we can we can try to align ourselves with your heart's desires for your word i pray that today that what we need to hear from you we'll hear and what we don't need to hear we don't we don't hear i pray i pray that you would you would not let us become afraid i you've not given us a spirit of fear and so we have a spirit of hope we anticipate we long for the day when you will redeem all things we thank you that in you today we can experience redemption we can experience healing in a broken world that we can be healed surrounded by brokenness so i pray for those that have been damaged those that have been hurt those that are experiencing um pain because the way that they want to be is not the way that they're finding their existence is right now there's something broken whether it's their past that has caused shame and guilt there's something even in their sexuality that isn't the way that they want it to be and it's and it's off today i pray that today they would trust you They would rest in you, and they would find a community here that would be a community of compassion and love and acceptance. That we are all broken people on a journey towards wholeness. We thank you that we can trust you in that process. So go before us, we pray, and give us wisdom as a community how to live in a world in broken times. In Jesus' name, amen.